You're listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. Dairy Voice podcast is sponsored by National DHIA. National DHIA serves the dairy industry in advancing dairy information services. They lead the dairy information industry to create, utilize, and support world-class information resources that are accurate, credible, and uniform. To find out more, go to dhia.org. In this episode of Dairy Voice, we're speaking with Missouri dairy farmer Alex Peterson, and joining him is Tom Gallagher, CEO of Dairy Management Inc., or DMI, the Dairy Checkoff Promotion Organization. I'm your host, Joel Hastings. We'll hear about Alex's family farming, but we'll also be talking about a special committee DMI has formed to look into the future of dairy products and society, what I'll call the 2030 Project. Welcome to you both. Glad you're here. Thanks for having us. Good to be with you. Hey, well, Alex, let's start by having you uh, tell us about your uh, family farming operations in Northwest Missouri. We uh, have the, the privilege of being here in the, the middle of nowhere, so we don't have a lot of uh, urban, urban pressure or, uh, or regulations of, uh, of really any kind, kind of self-regulated, but we have a thousand acre management intensive grazing dairy here in North Missouri. Uh, this morning we're uh, milked 160 uh, pro-cross cows. So about a dozen years ago, we started the pro-cross system which is uh, Montbilliard and Swedish Red on our Holstein cows, and have got along good for that. Uh, Holsteins are, are the number one breed for a reason, but uh, they, aren't, uh, they aren't good at backpacking across the country a little bit as much as uh, a good crossbred is. So we've got along good with that. We kind of tend to be a, a low input dairy, try to keep costs down, lifestyle uh, as uninfringed as possible, as much as that can happen on a dairy farm. It's my uh, my parents who are in their low 60s, and my oldest brother and I, uh, they had three boys, uh, Opie, uh, O-P-I-E, uh, Andy, and then I was supposed to be Aunt B, but that uh, kind of got a wrench through in the works, and uh, so they went with Alex. They liked short names. They could yell turned out to be pretty handy around the dairy farm. Uh, but my oldest brother and I are, are, are back on the farm and have been for about a decade. And, and uh, things run smoothly some of the time and some of the times it doesn't. But um, all in all, we get along pretty good. And uh, everybody kind of gravitates to their, uh, to their corners and, and does what they need to do. And, and like any other farm family, when, when a fire starts, you kind of rally together to help put it out and and that's kind of what uh, being a farm family is all about I think I kind of gravitate towards the animal health and wellness and calf rearing and reproduction and uh, being the being the youngest child I have somehow morphed into kind of the grease that keeps all the wheels running uh, make sure all the lines of communication are open and they're all on the same page and and uh, and I think that's uh, not the easiest job on a on a family farm, but uh, one that uh, one that has to be done, and and uh, for a farm to function well uh, needs to be done. So that's kind of how things roll around here, and um, it's a it's a great place to be, and and I feel so sorry for uh, all the people that uh, in a pandemic, you know, live in live in a city and and 
and have that kind of confinement nowadays. I'm, it's not lost on me that I, I get to be out here in the, in the wide open and have room to stretch my legs and, and work. And as I know, a lot of farmers across the country uh, are, are thankful of also. Well, thanks, Alex. That's fascinating. I confess you're the first uh, pro-cross dairy producer we've talked to in these series. We've talked to Holstein guys, Jersey guys, and even some who've done a little crossbreeding of those two breeds. But uh, you're the first one who's uh, talked to us about the, the three-way cross uh, and your pasture. You're still milking twice a day, I presume. Yeah, twice a day. Uh, and and really, we've had, we've got a lot, like I said, we got along really well with these these uh, pro cross animals. They tend to be suited a little better for the the grazing uh, setup. Uh, but I mean, our health our health costs are way down. They just they're a super durable animal, uh, a lot beefier. That Montbilliard is kind of a scimitar uh, kind of bloodline, so they're a, a lot beefier animal on that side, uh, which helps a little bit with. Coal, you know, coal cows and and dairy steers and and that sort of thing. So there's there's some upside. I mean, everybody wants more pounds in the tank, but that's uh, you know you you do the best you can with what you've got and and try to make good decisions. But we're a little irrational. Uh, we just went 100% all in and and bred everything that way, uh, which you know you kind of like Cortez. You burn your ships when you're when you get to the new world, and then you just make the most of it. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your production levels and components. We can graze about eight, uh, eight months out of the year, depending on the, the year. And then the other four months, they're just getting uh, baleage, you know, good grass, hay baleage, and uh, ran through a processor. And so we're still kind of moving them around through the, through the paddocks, uh, even in the wintertime. And so they're kind of doing their own manure management. Uh, but Right now we're kind of burning all cylinders and they're at about four, three butter fat and three, three, five, uh, protein. So, uh, I mean, just a little over 60 pounds a day of, of energy corrected milk, which, uh, I mean, for us is, is probably a little better than we've been in the last few years, but things have kind of aligned a little bit and it was a, a really good year for, for our pastures and, and weather wise. But, because you're a pasture-based system, you are very much at the mercy of, of the weather. And, you know, some years we have good years because we did things right. And some years we have good years because it's hard to mess it up. And then the opposite's true, of course, going the other direction. But it makes it a little more interesting when you have, you know, that little control over things. <laughs> <laughs> I remember talking to an old boy in northern Wisconsin who said pasture grazing might be fine for some, but up in his country, he hadn't figured out how to make milk from snow for six months of the year. So <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly right. and and honestly, we're we're pretty far north even uh, for where we're at. Uh, but try to make it work as best you can. So <laughs> and uh, so so dairy beef is is uh, no big deal. No, no nothing new for you guys then. No, well, and, and we've kind of jumped on the bandwagon the last. Uh, two or three years and started started using the sex semen on the top half of the herd heifers and top half and and then uh, angus angus or you know or something on everybody else so we're we're trying to get away from the those dairy steers uh also as best we can and part of it you know here in north missouri we're kind of a there's not a huge dairy infrastructure anymore and uh 
so there's not a lot of good markets for those kinds of animals around, and and that's one of the things we try to you gotta you gotta adjust to the environment you're in, and uh, part of that is kind of have, having lost a lot of that dairy community. We don't have that support system or market that we that we had 30, 40 years ago. Well, when you mentioned the top half or, or whatever the top portion of your herd might be, is that based on DHI information? I, uh, I assume you don't do much genomic testing. Uh, so, and we haven't done DHIA for, I don't know, probably 30 years. Uh, we kind of set up our own little, our own little system and uh, we've got our own record keeping and, and system and, and being a, a small family farm, I mean, it's one of us for doing uh, the chores every day, the milking every day. So we've got a pretty good idea of who's who in the milk string. And um, it's funny, our, our most, probably the most common question I get from uh, the public is, uh, do you name all your cows? And I, and I have come up with the answer of only the really, really good ones or the really, really bad ones. And so uh, if you fall into one of those groups, it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, but then after that, it's uh, just a, uh, good good genetic pairing with uh with a good eye and 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 some good data to to help guide you in the right direction well that's a that's a fascinating story and uh, we'd love to hear more about that sometime um as i say you're you're the first dairy producer that we've spoken to on this program that uh, uh has really embraced that approach but part of what you well, can do well, too like, well, go ahead well, like i like i like I said, Joel, I said that there's nobody up here keeping an eye on us, so we really kind of do whatever we want. So that's how we've got away with, with that kind of behavior for so long. Well, one of the things you mentioned about yourself, your, and I compliment your self-awareness, is the fact that you're able to kind of be a communicator and a facilitator within your family. And I expect those same traits make you very important in organizational life as well. Uh, you're a leader in the Midwest Dairy Organization. And in a moment, we're going to talk about your national dairy work. But uh, let's, let's start for just a moment with your Midwest dairy involvement. Uh, yeah, I serve on the Midwest Dairy Corporate Board and have been involved in, uh, on their division board uh, for uh, going on five or six years now. And that's, I was kind of in the, the, the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time, however you want to put it. And there was a, there was a spot that needed to be filled. and. And I think somebody kind of uh, gave me a pat on the back or a kick in the butt. I, there's not a lot of, there's only a few inches of difference between the two. And sometimes it's hard for me to tell, but so probably didn't get into it for the, the right reason initially, uh, but it didn't take long, uh, you know, a matter of months of immersing yourself in exactly what checkoff is and, and how it functions to, to realize how critical an endeavor it is uh, to have a, to have a voice for dairy and to have a defender for dairy. But I think as, as we kind of get into this 2030 plan, I think more so uh, uh, an attack strategy for how dairy is going to attack the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years uh, down the road and, and kind of get that organization is, is kind of critical. And, and that happens not just the national level, but the regional level with Midwest dairy and, and on down to even local events. But we have to have a kind of a common goal, in mind and an idea which direction we want to head if we're going to if we're going to be pulling in the same direction
Dairy farmers know that the better they take care of their cows, the better their cows take care of them. And that's why we at Virtus Nutrition launched Energy 3 with Omega-3s, the healthy fat supplement that has many of the same fatty acids that are found in olive oil and salmon to help cows stay healthy and productive. Visit virtusnutrition.com to learn more. That's V-I-R-T-U-S nutrition.com. Well, that's important. And you are an officer of the National Dairy Promotion and Research Board, which I think lets us maybe now turn to Tom Gallagher. Tom, it's your turn a little bit here. Uh, tell us uh, first about some of the highlights of what 2020 has meant at DMI and for dairy in this uh, remarkable, not to say terrible year. Well, you know, it's uh, been quite a year to uh, pivot quickly as it was apparent that COVID uh, was going to cause major disruptions in uh, food service and schools. And we thought in exports, although that really didn't pan out that way. And exports have actually been very good to us this year. And uh, so all our organizations that are checkoff driven, the U.S. Dairy Export Council made sure that they were focused on the markets that would be most advantageous and successful. And we've seen sales this year of exports, you know, up again uh, at, at, you know, record setting levels. Um, in food service, we pivoted quickly uh, as we saw restaurants, um, you know, have the drop off in, 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 in sales, obviously, and that affects things like cheese and butter. So we, we created other efforts with pizza companies, with processors, with co-ops to really uh, try to shore up the cheese sales um, and cheese and butter, of course, at retail with the pandemic buying did very well as did fluid milk for a while. And then in the schools, uh, you know, which 7% or more of our product runs, fluid milk runs through schools. And as schools closed, we really saw the need to do everything we could to keep that supply chain functioning for the kids who this is for some kids, this is their only nutritious meal of the day. And it means so much to farmers to have those sales. So, through one of our organizations called Gen Youth, we've collected nearly $12 million of non-dairy related money. So other companies to give back to schools, to provide them with things, physical things, equipment, whatever they needed to, a to be able to keep that school supply chain open. And so as a result of all that, uh, while domestic sales have been down a bit overall, one to 2%, it's nowhere near what we thought it might be. And then when you couple that with the export sales increase, we're actually at a net positive year to date. Well, a remarkable job that the industry has done, uh, led in many ways by, by DMI and, and uh, folks like you, Alex. Well, let's, let's turn to the uh, 2030 project. Uh, Tom, I first heard you talk about this uh, a year ago at World Dairy Expo, and I know it was well underway before that. <clears throat> Give us a little bit of an introduction and, and, and a little bit of background for, the, for this effort. You know, a good year and a half ago now, we uh, started to put together a process whereby we'd look at the year 2030 and that trend from here to there about food and, and how people will consume information, but really engaged with futurists in, in technology, futurists in all aspects of, of the world of 
food and information so that we could understand how will people, what are the potential ways people will be consuming food, consuming information in a, in a future time like 2030. Um, we retained the Institute for the Future. We retained uh, university professors that teach uh, future uh, planning or future views. Um, we had our board, the DMI board, closely involved. We had the Innovation Center board, which is made up of 30 companies from the industry, their CEOs and chairman involved. And then we did something a little different. We had about 15 people who were CEOs of or very high level people at other companies outside dairy, whether that's a Domino's or uh, an Inmar, which is a uh, research and digital uh, couponing house or people from Tetra Pak. So we really wanted to get outside in views as well as our own views. And the benefit to farmers of this is we in the checkoff and the farmers need to really continue to push and lead the kind of changes that are going to happen in terms of food quickly. We can't always be behind. And I'd say in innovation, in a lot of ways, we have been behind. So an example of that is we started working with e-commerce and had a very successful pilot with an e-commerce company called Peapod. We now took that same pilot to Amazon and we are their category captain, so to speak. So we'll work with them on developing new products specifically targeted through Amazon, just like we do with McDonald's. And in this 2030 study, e-commerce was clearly flagged along with sustainability and a few other things as things that were going to be only on the increase and the industry needed to gear more towards that and understand that traditional retail would change. Well, because of COVID, that has just skyrocketed in terms of, it, instead of it happening three and four and five years out, it's happening in real time right now. So that's why it's, it's so good that some of these things we've been working on, like e-commerce or how far the industry has come on sustainability or profit for farmers, not sustainability with uh, something on farmers' back. So the purpose of 2030 bottom line is let's look ahead. Let's not just do small increments of innovation that in a lot of cases just catch us up to 10 years ago, you know, because we are behind in so many arenas and in innovation in fluid milk in particular. Let's look ahead and leap over some of those innovation and go to, to where, where the consumer is going to be consuming food and information. How did your process work? It sounds like you have quite an extensive group I assume in the pre-COVID times, you may have had some meetings or how, how do you get these folks to participate and contribute their thinking? Yeah, the participation rate was incredible, you know, especially when you think about these 15 or so CEOs from outside the industry who, you know, did this voluntarily. It's not like they were paid. Uh, but yeah, we, we would, before, pre, before COVID, we met individually as separate groups and gave each group the same challenges as the process went through so that we can compare their answers and thought processes. And then uh, on occasion, we'd take some from each group and bring them into Chicago so that they could have the interface 
And so at each step of the way where, you know, we got to go through step one to create what, what are we really trying to accomplish? What is the mission here? Um, what, is, what is the ideal future state look like? At each step, we'd have the groups work individually, then we'd have them work together. And right now where we are, uh, we picked this, we let it slip for a while with COVID because everyone was so distracted, obviously, but we picked this back up about three months ago. And where we are now is we've got probably four to five priorities that we'd like to focus on over the next short period of time. And, and then what will happen next is from those priorities, there'll be work teams put together with the industry to make sure that we accomplish or set out a roadmap to accomplish the kind of things that uh, the groups have identified as critical to farmers, critical to the industry. Alex, just uh, give us your impression of, uh, well, how have you been involved personally and also uh, kind of what's your impression of, of the process to this point? Initially, uh, kind of hitting the ground running with the project, it was kind of overwhelming being involved early on and, and helping to kind of see what the see what the future might hold as we went through the process of working with these these groups uh and like you know we've we've all been part of strategic planning processes where you know even if it's just you know how your farm is going to look in 10 years uh and it can feel very abstract at times but uh as tom was saying the, the groups that that he brought in and our team brought in uh there is a real science about how to approach these things and I was uh, blown away by uh, by the, the history of this uh, the, this style of, of of planning and looking to find clarity about where you are in your industry right now, and not getting so hung up on the certainty of you know this is exactly where we need to be in ten years. It's you know what what are the signals pointing us to? And I I think it's been a if if the whole thing collapsed right now, just the training that the board had to be worth. Uh, an incredible amount of money because I think uh, I think through our situation so much differently and such a a better perception uh, perception and perspective uh, and peripheral vision of what's going on in, in the world and how that affects dairy. I think probably the bulk of the cost of this is being paid uh, by the dividends of an investment that Tom and the crew made years ago by putting together the Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy. If we would have just as you know farmer leaders and, and DMI come up with oh this is this is our 2030 plan and and uh, things we know we need to work towards it would have been uh, relatively useless to the the relationships that, that Tom and Barb have built through the Innovation Center and, and these leaders across the industry uh, because of the buy-in that we all have now because us as farmers had a chance to input and then tear it down and rebuild and tear it down and rebuild just the same as the top executives from from all these organizations up and down the chain so we all have buy-in we all have skin of the game we all have a clear understanding uh, of where we want to go and because it's uh, such foresight it kind of it kind of uh, paralyzes you know all the angst in, in amongst the industry that there is right now because it's that far up on the horizon uh, but I I'm so thankful that they had the, the foresight all those years ago to bring everybody in and say, you know, we, there are some things we need to get on the same page as. 
And I think this is this is one of the most ripe pre pieces of fruit that's going to come from that tree uh, because uh, because they did that legwork and have that foundation to build on. And I, I'd send an email to Tom after uh, one of our big meetings. Uh, I said, boy, is there anything else we need to get everybody else on board uh, for? Because all of these execs that are hunkered in their basements because of COVID, uh, if we'd had in-person workshop, you know, we would have a fraction of the ones we had there. And it's one thing to, to have, you know, somebody two or three legs down in an organization reporting back on a meeting. It's another, you know, if the, if the exec himself or herself was there providing insight and, and saying, yeah, this is things we're willing to do, things we're not willing to do. And, and I, I think the, there was a lot of stars that have aligned uh, to make this, make this process uh, a lot more likely uh, to bear good fruit than, than a lot of strategic plans I've been involved with in the past. Well, that's encouraging for sure. Uh, for either one of you, uh, can you give me give us an idea of maybe a couple of particular points or a couple of particular trends that that uh, your group has developed? Maybe Alex can add to it. I, you know, first of all, let me say, Joe, for the audience, that you know sometimes people look at this long-term planning and go, well, you know, all we need to do is uh, sell the gallon milk and talk about nine essential nutrients. Um, that's part of what we need to do, uh, but it is not obviously enough. People uh, need to have products when and where they want them. For example, uh, e-commerce is going to be a different product. There's going to be gallon, but there's going to be other needs. Uh, another example is Amazon Go stores. There's going to be 5,000 Amazon Go stores in big cities over the next five or six years that are going to be all single serve aimed at an urban audience that has very specific needs. It's not going to be fulfilled by a white gallon. So um, we have to be able to, you know, stay focused on the present, but plan for the future. A couple of things that came through this are, I would say, the different groups I've mentioned, including the outsiders, they, the similarity of thinking was very uh, surprising to me in terms of where, where they netted out on things. Um, and it started out with, I mean, everyone sees it's got to be a worldwide uh, consumer that we think about, not just the United States, obviously. Uh, we need to uh, really focus on our great story of sustainability because uh, that is a differentiator and a positive one for dairy. Uh, and it's the story for the younger millennial and now the gen z that is that is what they're driven by they will they will reward companies that they believe are doing sustainable practices and they will punish companies that don't by their purchase or lack of purchase so the, the, the great work of the industry and the sustainability for years but particularly the last 12 years where we've developed the science you know i guess another area is you know continuing to innovate around various functional foods and, and, uh, and providing consumers with the kind of uh, food benefit that they're looking for, whether that's milk as a sleep aid or, you know, wh however, however it looks. Another one, and I'll, I'll just finish on this one and turn it to Alex, is we have an enormous amount of data in this industry from the farm to the consumer, and we really don't 
think of that data the way most companies think of it in terms of that is a phenomenal resource of information that we can use to market more effectively, but also to tell our story. And a lot of that data we think could be monetized. So a focus on future technology uh, and telling that story and monetizing data for the industry. So Alex, any other thoughts there? Yeah, there's uh, there's been so many aha moments through this process, but I, I think I think Tom is right. It's amazing how many of of the of the great ideas and the, and the great uh, the great uh, purposes that we're going to kind of lean on are not they're not like brand new ideas. It's more or less us coalescing around what we what we really need to focus on and and uh, and make a priority. Uh, one expression that came up early on was uh, the the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. So there's a lot of things going on on, on dairies all across the country. Uh, you know, here and there where somebody's come up with this uh, this great idea or, or is trying this. Uh, we're a, a world full of innovators, and sometimes it's just uh, finding those things and finding out which of those need to be, you know, extrapolated. Uh, to different size dairies or to different regions or adapted and and I think it's that kind of it's that kind of endeavor for finding out what awesome things are we already doing that we need to number one enumerate and and do research on and prove and then number two figure out how to uh, how to extrapolate that across the industry and, and number three find out how we can uh, turn that into a resource that is a that is a positive contributor, not only to, to how we do what we do, but but to, to our economic viability as we, as we go on. Well, it sounds, it certainly sounds fascinating. What's the, as you look forward, uh, will this group be issuing a report or how, how will the industry uh, benefit or see what's been accomplished here? As far as a report, yeah, we'll be putting together a report. We'll be putting together videos to explain. We'll be holding uh, briefings with people from the media like yourself, and that'll occur in the first quarter of next year so we can uh, make people aware of what the results were and where we need to look to the future. As far as implementation, that's that's what the industry and DMI and others are working on the roadmap to implementation for the, like I said, for the first four or five things we really feel are important to tackle. Well, we'll certainly look forward to that. As we look at the time here, I think we do need to wind up our conversation. Any thoughts, uh, any parting shots, if you will, that uh, either one of you would like to offer our group? Well, I, I would just say, uh, I think that while it's, it's been a strange and very tough year for everybody, particularly for dairy farmers, you know, I, I am very proud of what the national and local staffs have done in promotion and the in, international staff to, like I said, pivot so that actually we're going to end this year in positive territory overall in terms of dairy sales. So uh, I really appreciate all the hard work the boards and the staffs have done. Thank you. Alex? Yeah, I would say in a kind of in a similar fashion, it's it's uh, it's always a kind of a, a soothing effect when you come across people that 
that that serve beside you uh, on these boards and in the industry, and people that uh, seem to be uh, very content and honored to use their skill sets uh, to to help us as an industry. And and I just uh, can't say thank you enough to uh, Tom and his team, and and specifically the 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 st st strategic insights team that are working on this Dairy 2030 uh, plan. Uh, they really have poured a lot of skill and time and effort into into not making this just another document that's going to that's going to go on a shelf but a document and and a kind of a mantra that we can take as an industry uh, to to build a, a bright future uh, for those of us that, that hope to be here and and as we all do want to see the next generations uh, take over and have a, a a wider palette of opportunities than uh, than 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 we had so i I know it's a, it's it seems cliche, but it's a it is a team effort, and and it's important that we keep everybody engaged and keep everybody in check. But more importantly, uh, maintain that that positive uh, attitude and and momentum as we as we charge out of this uh, wild 2020 and and look at the next decade as something that that we really need to grab by the the horns and and. Uh, and take advantage of uh, to the most because the people that are coming after us are not uh, they're not going to pull any punches and and we know we we have to to bring our a game and our a game uh, first and foremost is having is having a good plan and and having a, a good team in place to, to execute that plan so it's it's been comforting to me to know that there are there are good people working really hard to to do what they can to, to keep our, keep our advantage intact well, those are encouraging notes from, from both of you, and we, we thank you once again. We've been speaking with dairy producer Alex Peterson and DMI's Tom Gallagher, uh, and we thank you, our listeners, and invite you to give us a good rating on your podcast app. This is Joel Hastings for Dairy Voice at dairybusiness.com.